Hebrews chapter 2, and we uh, covered verses 1 through 4 last week. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hand. And so we want to look at the next section of chapter 2, starting with verse 5, as we go verse by verse through this study. Starting with verse 5, for he has not put the world to come, of which we speak, in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place, saying, what is man that you are mindful of him? the Son of Man, that you take care of him. You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and with honor. And set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. And you can find this uh, passage in Psalm chapter 8. A lot of your Bibles, this may be italicized, uh, but uh, the original text is found in Psalm 8. Uh, For in that he put all things, continue in verse 8 here, For in that he put all things in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him, but we see Jesus. Isn't that a great line right there? That'll change your week, folks. That'll change your life. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. We just prayed for those that might be grieving. Jesus tasted death for everyone. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. It settles us. It comforts us. It's a light to our path. It guides us, Lord. It corrects us. It chastens us. It calms us. And Lord, I pray that it would do all that and more by the power of your Holy Spirit. Remove me, as it were, from the equation that not only would we see Jesus, but hear Jesus this morning. It's in your name I pray. Amen. If you're taking notes, we'll be looking uh, at this section from this perspective. If Christ went lower, shouldn't we? That's a fair question, isn't it? If Christ went lower, shouldn't we? Verses, now... These verses, verses 5 through 18, and we're not getting to verses 10 through 18 today. We'll be looking at that in a couple of weeks. Uh, But the whole rest of chapter 2, verses 5 through 18, they deal with the humanity of Jesus, right? Humanity of Jesus. We know that he wore sandals just like everybody else in that time period. He, He came in human flesh, and it deals with the necessity of his humanity and the fact that Uh, These verses, I'm speaking of verses 5 through 18, we're only looking at 5 through 9 this morning, but all of the rest of chapter 2, it speaks to the fact that his humanity does not make him in any way inferior to angels or to anything in the very creation that he created. Now this is important, because some might, and certainly many have, made the argument You've probably heard people say this. If Jesus was a man, then he's somehow less powerful than God. Or he's not equal to God. Or he's not eternal. That he's less than angels who have power and are ministering spirits, as the scriptures tell us. Or perhaps he's only equal to angels, as some religions teach. Him and Michael are archangel about the same, right? Some religions teach that. Or that he's only just a man. Some people say, hey, he was a good guy. He was just a man. He was a prophet. 
But that's all. All of these arguments have been thought of, they've been written about, they've been propagated, they've been promoted, and some of these false beliefs have even been turned into false religions and cults, right? All these things have become things that people believe in and follow. But what the scriptures make abundantly clear is that Jesus was 100% man and at the same time 100% God. We say, we don't know how that's possible. Well, with God, all things are possible. Amen? He's all man and all God. What we observe in Christ is not an inferiority, but a superiority. Amen? And that his, his demonstration of love, his demonstration of obedience to the Father, and his humility were superior to anything we've ever seen from anyone else but him. As the writer of Hebrews will lay out here in chapter 2, Jesus laid aside his glory and his throne, and he lowered himself for us. He lowered himself, went really low just for us. If he didn't put on the flesh of humanity, humbling himself for our sake, we have no hope for eternity. All of our memorial services are really, really, really sad because there'd be no hope. But he did come, and he did lower himself. And although Christ came and accomplished the mission that only he could accomplish, he's calling for us to follow now, isn't he? He said, follow me to his disciples. To follow his lead in one critical respect, and here it is, lower ourselves. Lower ourselves. John the Baptist said what? I must decrease that he would increase. Humble ourselves. Why? When we humble ourselves, we'll see his, his mission accomplished in us and through us. We must humble ourselves. And that's why I've called this today, if Christ went lower, shouldn't we? It doesn't come natural for us to take the lower position, does it? Anyone ever seen two toddlers, both eyeing a toy at the same time? <laughs> you rarely see the toddler at two say, I'm going to defer to you. I'm going to lower myself right now. It doesn't happen. We can have scraps in our house over a half a donut that's left. Um, literally. I mean, people are like, that was mine. You know. We're born with a nature that gravitates to pride and self-exaltation and just self, period. That's our nature. I th Pastor John MacArthur, I remember I was first saved. I listened to the radio. And he, and when you're done dealing with all sins, the rest of your life you'll deal with pride. Well, first of all, we're never done dealing with all other sins. But if that were possible, pride would still be there. And it'll take Jesus working in us to rid us of our desire for recognition, our little forms of self-promotion. Oh, we're good at it, aren't we? We can even make it sound humble. But it's all self-promotion. And sometimes you'll spot it in people, and they do it so often, you're like, please, not another self-deprecating comment from you. But then we see in ourselves, we do the same thing like 10 minutes later. We have this overinflated view of ourselves by nature. I like the story of a Texas farmer who was touring England. Um, and when he met, By the way, I'll never forget, before I tell this story, I was on a plane one time, and... Uh, we, uh, 
literally, this is hilarious because te Texans do think everything's awesome in Texas. <laughs> if you're from Texas, yeah, that's right, right, yeah, yeah. Um, I used, to, I, used to, I used to report to a Dallas, Texas office. I had to fly to Dallas a decent amount. And Dallas-Fort Worth Airport is big. And you got to get on this little train to get to the other concourse. And, you know, and, uh, and the, it, everything was delayed. And everybody on the plane was complaining. And this, this guy with a big brim cowboy hat, people were complaining, the airport's so big. He goes, hey, we like it big here in Texas. <laughs> For real, he said that. He was like, we like that our airport's so big that you complain about it. But anyway, I like, I like this story of a Texas farmer. He was touring England. I'm not picking on you Texans. I, I love Texas. Uh, my, I have nephews and nieces there. But um, this Texas farmer, he's touring England, and he met a farmer, a farmer peer uh, on the other side of the pond. And he happened to meet this English farmer and asked him, so what size farm do you have? And the Englishman uh, announced, 35 acres, you know. That's my best accent I can give you. With, with glee, you know, he was really happy. 35 acres, the Texan, 35 acres, the Texan scoffed. Well, I can get in my truck at 8 a.m., start driving, and at noon, I'm still on my farm. I can eat lunch and start driving again at 5 p.m., and I'm still on my farm. Oh, yes, the Englishman nodded. I, have, I used to have a truck like that. <laughs> you guys got that, you know. Not only they had a beater would get that, you know. We don't need a British farmer to put us in our place. We need the Holy Spirit to put us in our place. And he will put us in our place for our good, for our growth, and that God's will would be done. And by the way, don't you hate it when you walk away from a conversation thinking to yourself, why did I say that? Don't you hate when you do that? Don't you hate when you're like, why did I puff myself up just that little bit and only God knew? Don't you hate that? Why did I say that? Why did I feel the need? Doesn't God love me enough that I don't need to promote this little bit about me? That little slip, even making it spiritual? We're praying for them. In other words, and, and, and in other ways, I'm here, they're, they're, they're here. But the more we walk with Christ, the more we lift him up, the lower our profile will go. And that people will see, and it says in that verse, and they saw Jesus. Stop seeing the Texas farmer. Stop seeing the British farmer. Start seeing the risen Savior. Warren Wearsby, speaking about Hudson Taylor, uh, he said, Hudson Taylor was scheduled to speak at a large Presbyterian church in Melbourne, Australia. And the moderator of the service introduced the missionary in eloquent, glowing terms. He told the large congregation that Taylor had all that Taylor had accomplished in his mission work in China. And then he presented him as our illustrious guest. Hudson Taylor stood quietly for a moment. Then he opened his message saying, Dear friends, I am the little servant of an illustrious master. An illustrious master. That's who we serve. And if you're going to go in all for Christ, you're going to have to go lower. Did you know that? You're going to have to go lower. But we can, and we must, because Jesus has set the example of what he did, and we get to go lower by the work of grace. Grace helps us go lower. 
As I mentioned from the outset, the emphasis here is the necessity of Christ's humanity. We'll look at two things. We'll make it brief because we are going to also take the Lord's Supper in just a few minutes. But I want you just to see briefly these two things that are in these verses that are so important. These two things. First, our design and dilemma. And then we'll look at his descent and death. So the first one, our design and dilemma. Uh, it starts at the beginning. Go back to verse 5. When I say the beginning, it, it takes us back to the original intent of creation. That's why I'm speaking of our design. And with the Garden of Eden came a dilemma that Jesus was the only solution to. Um, look at verse 5. For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak, in subjection to angels. And he goes back. What is man that you're mindful of him? He says in the middle of verse 7, uh, you've set him over the works of your hands. Now you'll notice that the hymn is lowercase. Did you notice that? The hymn is lowercase. That tells us it's speaking from the original intent. Remember, uh, we've, we've talked about this many times. Scripture has the principle of duality. It means multiple things at the exact same time, right? I give the simple illustration. I am simultaneously a father, a husband, a son, a pastor, and at times a moron. But anyway, those are, those are all of those things simultaneously, right? Jesus is never anything but great. But the lowercase hymn is important because the original intent of that verse written in Psalms is that the psalmist is remembering that you made mankind like Adam and Eve and set them over creation. But it's also pointing to a capital H-I-M. Does that make sense? So here's the, Jesus is the fulfillment of what we failed at. So let's take a look at what this means. God designed man in his image, right? In his image, he created them, male and female, uh, to rule over and have dominion over the world, which means to be stewards of his creation. If I, if I said, hey, you need to kind of own this trust fund, take good care of it for the family, you're stewarding it. We were given stewardship over creation. Remember, he even allowed Adam, because Adam had an incredible intellect before sin. I mean, Adam's genius was so beyond us, he, he named all the species. Isn't that amazing? I was telling my wife, I said, I, I, I'm in the book of Leviticus in my personal study, and one of the, we think ancient people, uh, you know, I don't, but people at National Geographic Society think ancient people were like cavemen. Actually, they were probably much smarter than us. Prior to the flood, the advancement would have been amazing, and that's why we see the early, right out of the flood, things like the pyramids and mathematics and all this stuff, the, the intellect was strong. Matter of fact, when I read Le Leviticus, I need a whiteboard to follow all the stuff in Leviticus. I'm like, Moses comes down the mountain and says, all right, here's what we're going to do. There's this offering, there's this offering, there's this offering. You're going to follow these days. You're to, like, mind blown. You're like, uh, can I get a whiteboard? Can I get a slide? Can I look at this in sex? How do they even know? I think they were actually, sin over time has made us a little bit dumber, not smarter. But anyway, I'd, out of creation, everything was perfect. Man was given dominion over the earth. Then sin and the fall came. Then corruption and death came. And through Adam, Adam's sin, man forfeited the intended role of managing over creation. It was forfeited. Now all of a sudden, creation, instead of managing it, creation could kill you. Does that make sense? A viper 
which was before you had domain over, now you step on one in a rice field in India and you could die. Make sense? Now creation of which you had dominion now can kill you. Water, fire, wild beast, cell mutations, which would actually come because of, of sin. Uh, interestingly, even after, though, the fall, animals still have a natural fear of human. The reason they just bite when you step on them is actually fear. And in most cases, they will actually, even if they're way bigger and more ferocious, they'll actually move away from humans, in most cases. Now, if you're a runner and you run into a bear and you slam into one, then it's all bets are off, right? So, but the rest of nature, think about it, oceans, mountains, lightning, gravity, they have no fear of man, do they? Lightning bolts aren't afraid of people. Ocean tsunamis aren't afraid of people. But wild animals naturally are. And so we see a little bit of the original intent is still there, but a lot of it has eroded or rusted away, if you will. And these are, by the way, none of these things have power over angels, do they? Angels can shut the mouth of lions. Daniel the lion's den. Angel comes in. All of you, quiet. So angels still have that dominion over, in a sense, of, of power. And they move about unharmed. Angels can fly right through a lightning bolt. doesn't bother them at all. Tsunami couldn't hurt an angel. All those things, they can only, those elements can only kill us. So now, we are now subject to sin from the time we're born, and we're also slowly and sometimes rapidly moving towards the death of our bodies from the very time we're born. Every time you're born, there's a dash already there, right? To the end date. And all this became, started because God says, originally, I have this mission for you, and then with sin, we blew the mission, and then now all of a sudden, we're tainted goods. None of us can complete the job. And actually, the job we were given is now over us, in a sense. Like I said, some of that original uh, commission is still found when animals are afraid of us, and we still are able to tame everything. We can come up with ingenuities of what, how we could catch a big whale, right? Whales don't come up with things, how can we catch humans, Right? They never think of that, do they? <laughs> they never put a campaign together. How can we save aborted babies? But we come up with things so, because we have the intellect. So some of the original image of God should be proof that God created us. Instead, people look at it the reverse. Say, well, if God was really real, then we wouldn't have all this stuff. No, read Genesis, and you'll know why we have all this stuff, right? God tells us why all of this now exist. But it wasn't our original design to die. Did you know that? We were created for eternity. Verses 6 through 9 make this uh, clear that God says, my original intent is you'd have uh, nature under you. It would be in subjection to you. You would be uh, stewards of all of this. Now notice that it's all going to return. Look at, back, look at back at verse 5. This is kind of a, a great thing. For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. Do you know God is going to reverse the curse? Someday, the lion will again lay with the lamb. And you'll be able to tell a lion, go sit down in the corner. And it will. Try that now. And you're not heavily armed. Not a good idea. But it's going to happen again. Verse 5 it tells us that, that someday God's going to put it all back to the original intent. But... For that to happen, 
because of sin and because man had given up his relationship, given up his responsibility and dominion over the earth, there had to be someone to come to redeem what was lost and the, res- the relationship with God that Adam and Eve had at the beginning and the responsibility that he had given them that they had thrown out the window, so to speak. And we would have done the same. Don't kind of look at them and say, well, I can't believe they did that to all of us. We would have done the same. And who God had to send had to be perfect, had to be a substitute of perfection for our imperfection. He had to be a man like us. Now we say, why? Because God said that's how it had to be. Had to be a man like us. He had to be lower than angels, had to lower himself under the angels' power, because the angels, the, the angels that were in heaven had not fallen to sin, so they still remain quite powerful. But he had to even go lower than the angels and come down and be just like a man, and yet sinless and selfless, and Jesus was both. And only Jesus, the Son of God, could come and fulfill this need. In Hebrews 4.15, it tells us, but he was at all points tempted, as are we, yet without sin. Jesus would come. He, every temptation you've ever been ever tempted by, Jesus had him come his way. By the way, being tempted is not a sin. Falling to temptation is a sin. Jesus went in the wilderness for 40 days. Satan did everything, threw everything at him, couldn't get him to sin. Without sin. Nobody from Adam forward would work. None of us could fulfill the requirements because we all have, even our righteousness is filthy rags. Sin would pass through many. So that was our design, and that's our, our dilemma. We were designed for one thing, but we have a dilemma that we can't fulfill it. Amen? Then comes Jesus, which is what we see uh, in the fulfillment of what Psalms was saying man's original intent was, but Jesus is the fulfillment of it because we see in verse 9, but we see Jesus. It actually, the New Testament is a commentary on the Old Testament. It's other things too because it introduces the, the gospel. And Jesus. But among things, the New Testament is a commentary on the Old Testament. So we have our dilemma, which is an understatement, right? It's an understatement to say we had a dilemma. We had a death sentence. As mankind was facing eternity in hell, unless God provides a sacrifice. And so Jesus descends to dissolve our dilemma with his sinless perfection. And it's hard to comprehend. It's really hard. I've tried it for years. I've tried to, I cannot get it, can't get my arms around it. I'm sure you can't either. It's hard to comprehend just how low Jesus had to stoop to take on human flesh. I mean, when you see a NASA or a National Geographic documentary on the size of the universe, and you see that Jesus can hold all that in the palm of his hand, and you say he came to be like us, it, it's really mind-blowing that our sun is so tiny in the, sp- the sphere of other suns, and the earth can fit a million times into the sun, and, and all of this Jesus can hold, and yet he came as a baby. What's more helpless than that? why they're so easily killed in our country. They're helpless, which is tragic. Keep praying for that. But it's hard to comprehend just how low he stooped. Uh, He endured uh, a lot well before the cross to fulfill his mission from the Father. Uh, The Pharisees badgered him constantly. Imagine you had someone constantly trying to show you how bad you were doing your job at work. And if you had total power like Jesus, if I'd have been Jesus, he showed so much patience. 
if I'd have been Jesus, I'd have turned a Pharisee into a grape and had a donkey just step on it. You know, I just, uh, and to say, all right, who's next? That's what, you know, that's, that's what I would have done. I don't know why a grape, but it's easy to stomp on a grape. And, you know, he moved animals around in the other parts of Scripture. But, but that's what I would have done. But he had so much patience with them day after day. Jesus didn't just go lower in his disposition, though, to be eye to eye with humans. But he laid aside his royal position to what society would consider was lower, a lower man. Not just a man, but a lower class man. We, we, we classify people in the world. You know, we might, have an, we not, might, have an, might not have an official caste system in this society, but I think we have a class system where we look at, hey, they're, they're high class, they're low class. Jesus would have been considered low class, if you will, because he didn't just come. He had no means. He said he had nowhere to lay his head, no title, poor family, poor village. They even said, could anything good come out of Galilee? He was considered the other side of the tracks, the wrong side of the tracks, the lower end of everything. He did all that, and yet people would say, truly, this is the Son of God. Isn't that amazing? The lowest he could go, and yet people could see there's some, Nicodemus could see it. He said, there's something about you. I know you come from God. People should see that in your life. It, Jesus didn't just go lower, uh, but again, laid it all aside to be of no reputation. Down through history, the great leaders of the world, they love to parade their wealth, don't they? All the great leaders of the world, great in their minds, I mean. I'm not saying they're great. Uh, they love, everyone wants to be in the Forbes 500. My net worth is greater. Jeff, Jeff Bezos can tell, my net worth is greater than Bill Gates, who's greater than Warren Buffett, who, you know, on down the list it goes, right? Their militaries, their intellect, their charisma, their accomplishments, their buildings, they name their buildings after their name. All around the world this happens. Charles de Gaulle, who fought uh, for the French resistance against the Nazis. Um, if you fly into Paris, you find a de Gaulle airport. He said, the graveyards are full of indispensable men. <laughs> full of indispensable men. Men that are legends in their own minds. They thought they were something, and they came to nothing. Jesus made himself nothing, and yet he is everything. Isn't that great? Jesus made himself nothing, and yet he's everything. And by the way, his grave is empty, and he is indispensable. H. Henry Ironside said, Christ is a substitute for everything, but nothing is a substitute for Christ. Nothing's a substitute for Christ. I want to close with three things, just if you're taking notes. Three things, uh, three reasons to go lower for Jesus. Number one, he's worthy, and he's worth it. If you had no other reason, that would be enough. He's worthy, and he's worth it. Look at how he suffered. How can we not respond with a willingness to die, for die to ourselves when he died for us? How can we not be willing to die to ourselves? Uh, Oliver B. Green said, let the fact of what our Lord suffered for you grip you, and you will never be the same. He's talking about the cross. Let the, what the Lord did on the cross grip you, and you will never be the same. Number one, again, he's worthy and he's worth it. Number two, for our 
own growth spiritually, relationship-wise, and wisdom. Don't you want to grow spiritually? Don't you want your relationships to be healthier? Don't you want to have wisdom? Well, the lower you go in submission and humility to Christ, the more those things will flourish in us, our spiritual walk, our relationships with people. If there's a lot of bitterness and infighting with you and other people, you can be sure, especially when it's back and forth, you can be sure you have a lot of pride still to be dealt with. You've not gone lower. Wisdom, if you can't make wise decisions, you haven't gone lower, and Jesus is not the one that you're looking to. You're looking to yourself. The less we think of ourselves, the more we'll look to Christ to help us with everything. We really admit that apart from him we can do nothing. He'll use our going lower to put, on our, put us on our knees more. James tells us that he will exalt us in due time as we endure and depend on him. That, 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 that takes going lower. And uh, our humble dependence will bring about breakthroughs, even in practical ways. You guys ever heard of the Morse code? Of course you have. Uh, Tim Hansel in his book, Eating Problems for Breakfast. Great title, huh? Uh, he said, Wakefield tells the story of the famous inventor Samuel Morse, who was once asked if he ever encountered situations where he didn't know what to do. Morse responded, oh, more than once. And whenever I could not see my way clearly, I knelt down and prayed to God for light and understanding. Morse received many honors for his inventions of the telegraph, but felt undeserving. I have made a valuable ap application of electricity, not because I was superior to any other man, but solely because God, who meant it for mankind, must reveal it to someone, and he was pleased enough to reveal it to me. George Washington Carver had the same kind of humble spirit. That's why he invented so many things. They, these men believed, I'm going to get on my knees and pray. They were not impressed with their intellect. They were impressed with their God. And when we humble ourselves, God will start solving problems in our lives that there's not a solution for except for God. Amen? Big things, little things. Lastly, last point, go lower for others. Go lower for others. First was he's worthy and worth it. Number two, for your own growth. Number three, go lower for others. Why? Well, Jesus saved us to be a ministry to others. His whole reason, if Jesus came for others, we're now sent for others. Jesus came for others, we're sent for others. The night of his crucifixion, what did he do? He got on his knees and washed their feet. And they were right when they said, we should be washing your feet. That's true. But he was setting the example that you and I need to live a feet-washing life to people that don't know the Lord. And even if they're prideful and arrogant, you've got to be humble anyway. He said, even love your enemies. Um, I'll close with, you know, but been on my heart a lot lately is Hebrews 12.1, to be a living sacrifice. If Jesus was a dying sacrifice, we should be a living sacrifice. Amen? If we go lower, we will walk with him more consistently and with power and with peace and with joy, but we'll actually bring deliverance to people you know, my wife got a text about someone we knew in our past, and, and her life is a wreck. And the unsaved, they don't really know how to react to that. They just simply say, they'll just start saying stuff. I said, why don't we stop and pray? Pray for this person. God wants to use you and me. God speaks behind the scenes from himself, but he still, use, he still uses our hands and feet as part of the process. Amen? And so we want to be used by him. If he went lower, do you think we need to go lower? 
That's emphatic yes. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the model of your son, the love of your son, the humility of your son. We're so naturally filled with pride and resistance and our self and our self-love and our self-worth. And Jesus, you are selfless. And we want to be selfless. We want to uh, be living sacrifices because you modeled the way with your life and your sacrifice of your death on the cross. And Lord, forgive us for our pride. Forgive us for uh, just posturing ourselves or looking down at others or whatever it may be. Lord, you, you know. We ask that you would cleanse and forgive us. And even as we enter in this time of uh, communion, Lord, that you would just refresh our walk. Forgive us of our sins and trespasses.